0: Review, 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 pa 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 Review, 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 pa 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 Review, 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 review,
1: review, review, with, with me and me you. you.
0: Welcome to our time to show up review episode, where Natalie and I take a deeper dive into last week's interview.
1: If you hadn't had the chance to listen to that yet, you might want to check it out before listening further here. It'll make a lot more sense that way.
0: That's right, because in this episode, we will be talking more about the theory behind the material that came up in that interview, so we can better understand the elements that were going on there.
1: We'll also be suggesting reading, practices, and models that may help listeners like yourself who are experiencing resonant challenges and opportunities in their own lives.
0: In this, our first season of Time to Show Up, we're making all of our content freely available to the public. But in the future, these review episodes will only be available within our subscriber community.
1: Members of this community will have access to all Time to Show Up content, plus additional resources, materials, access to online forums, live events, and small groups.
0: Since we know that just listening to stuff isn't usually enough to facilitate desired change, We've designed this community to give you the support you need to take your learning even further. And if you join us at the start of our journey and sign up before April 5th, 2024, we're offering a no strings three month membership for free at timetoshowup.org.
1: That's right. And if you choose to stay on with us, which we hope you will, we'll give you a 25% early bird discount just to say thank you. If you're tuning in after that April date, don't worry, you can still try out a free two-week membership with no obligation. There are different packages to choose from, and you can find out more and get in touch at timetoshowup.org.
0: So without further ado...
1: Hello, welcome back to Time to Show Up. Um, We are glad that you're here with us. In this session, we're going to review the inquiry that we just had with John Kennedy. We're going to look through a synopsis of the key challenges that he brought into the conversation. We're going to have a bit of an analysis from different perspectives of what might be going on for him, and then look at some of the recommendations and insights that he might be able to apply and that may be useful perhaps to you also. And we'll include any frameworks, references, tools in the show notes. Um, beneath this video. So Aaron, what do you think were some of the key challenges that John brought to our session today?
0: I really enjoyed having John and I'm always really, I I love the courage that people bring to these sessions and their open-heartedness. And I think John's experience that I think a lot of people will identify with, I think the underlying challenge is actually a pretty basic one to human condition, (laughs) and uh, that would be fear. Mm. This is a really big step moving from an environment that is highly structured to an unstructured environment, moving from a place where maybe it's a little, little bit easier to hide to a place where it's a lot less easy to hide. Mm. And I think that the fear is provoking him in a whole variety of different ways that I think we can kind of get into the details as we discuss it.
1: Yeah, fear's a big one. I mean, it's a big one for all of us, isn't it? Yes, for sure. <laughs> and especially when we're thinking about showing up, um, one of the things that was really clear was what happens if you show up kind of by yourself outside of a structure or a big brand? Um, and what does it mean to be visible and to have that courage Uh and then some of the elements around ambivalence mm-hmm. and doing the homework and feeling like you've not read enough, even when you seem to be actually very qualified, like not trusting that you have those qualifications, skills, expertise to carry the weight of this new project that you're, that you're hoping to bring into the
0: world. So I think visibility is a really big one. And if you were to draw like an equal sign between the fear, it would like mm. point right to the visibility because visibility means what? It means... Accountability. Mm. It means showing up. It means uh, people see the decisions that you're making, whether they succeed or, or they fail. Mm. Um, and success and failure, I think, is also a binary. So binary came up a lot, right? This feeling that uh, something is going to be a success or a failure, but not necessarily like like small steps, right? Mm. Small steps don't have to be successes or failures. They're just steps along the way. Mm. There's reluctance to engage in them because it feels like if I make the step visibly, I confront my fear and that could shunt me into failure.
1: Yeah, and that having to get it right, which I can definitely relate to the sense of if I just read another book, if I just get the right advice, if I can make the correct decision, knowing that actually most of the time there'll be a decision which might be better or not than another, but actually the point is to put the foot in front of the next Um, You know, the idea of building the plane as you're going, and that can be incredibly uncomfortable, especially when you're used to that structure that's kind of been laying out a roadmap ahead of you. And suddenly you're having to question your relationship to change, to uncertainty, to discovery. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think... um this thing about doing the homework right what was yes. really interesting about john is he said right at the beginning of the interview you know this has been more than 10 years in the making that he put himself in a particularly structured environment a particular company to learn the rules to to learn the ropes right and now that period is coming to an end and now he's got to swing on those ropes, right? Yes. But he doesn't quite trust that he's done the homework. And almost every time we made a suggestion about something, you know, you thought about this. He said, oh, I've got to read more books on mm-hmm. that, right? And there's this real sense that once I do the homework long enough, um, I'm going to have the answer. And that's all about the fear again, mm-hmm. that you actually, you can't do the homework of the doing, Right.
1: You have to just do the doing. You have to
0: do the doing <laughs> and it's a really uncomfortable feeling. So yeah. can we, can we get him or can he get himself to trust that he's done lots and lots of homework? Mm. Right. And that actually when he starts doing the doing, then he'll learn what that feels like.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think there was something else there also around modeling leadership for the people that he has as part of his team. Um, and the question of what does it look like if he's not creating a model based on something that he's seen out there, but if it's something which, why well, I use the word emanation or manifest, like something that's coming from within him, who does he want to be in the world? How does he want to manage um, conflict or the vision for the company? Uh, in the prep for this conversation, you were talking very interestingly about what it means to maybe not step up for yourself, if that's difficult, but to step mm. up for your baby, for your project to say, actually, we believe in this shared goal. How are we going to get it out? Um, what's required to be able to defend, protect, and nurture it? Yeah. Do you want to say a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so there's kind of two elements at play here. So one of them is this idea of like, how do I, how does John Kennedy be the John Kennedy CEO mm-hmm. rather than the models that he's had, right? So like yeah. how can he do it with authenticity, but also do it in the way that that that's being required of him. And This is your word, like emanate. How does he emanate himself or manifest himself as a CEO? And the second part of that was he's very concerned about the decisions that he's making and how that might make him show up. Yeah. And you're kind of saying there's the idea, right? There's the baby. There's the company that maybe if he can could subsume the I part for like making these decisions on behalf of this baby that mm-hmm. we're making, right? Mm-hmm. Um, That might give some of the courage because then you're kind of, you're defending the idea rather than feeling like you have to defend your ego or something. And people are afraid of their own egos, right? They don't want to be too narcissistic. They don't want to take up too much space. They don't want to stand back too much. Mm. But if you think I'm doing it for this idea, that kind of releases the ego need a little bit.
1: Yeah, and it feels like it's not, you're, you're perhaps less entangled in it because then you have something that you can see within your hands rather than yeah rather than being in the situation itself and to that point the the questions around conflict and collaboration and permission were really present so how does he step into a confident enough state to be able to lead and say I'm going to make this decision without having to seek permission from the people that he'd like to have on board knowing that sometimes they're going to disagree with him and that needn't be the end of the world And sometimes it does, if, you know, I can relate to this, if you feel like there is something to get right, or it has Mm -hmm. to be perfect, or to belong, you have to give someone the decision that they want. That's going to be quite um, a challenging struggle to engage in. And the way that you get through, at least the way I found, is to try it. Just be like, what happens if I say no? Um, Or what happens if I say, okay, I understand your perspective, but actually from my position as a leader to protect and grow this project Actually, I think this is going to be the best path, and then to actually make the choice.
0: Yeah, like I've got some, I've got enough confidence in my direction that I think we should try this. Mm -hmm. And if we get feedback, you know, we can we can shift it. We can still collaborate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a few, there's quite a few like psychological concepts that are floating around in the background of this, and um, one of the big ones. So we've got conflict avoidance, which is kind of an obvious one, right? Um, one of my favorites comes from Carl Jung, and it's this idea about uh, inferior and superior capacities or functions. And the idea there is basically that we're good at some stuff and we're not so good at other stuff, right? Yeah, All of us are. But um, it's not in a value way. It's not like it's you're, it's you're good. Judgment. It's not a judgment, right? So it could be, you know, like, for example, um, I've got a superior functioning for abstract thought, Mm -hmm. but I have an inferior functioning for um, getting the details correct, right? So I have to spend Mm -hmm. a little bit more time crossing my T's and dotting my I's than I can do free thinking. Mm -hmm. And what I think John's superior functioning is, is um, overall synthesis, doing Mm -hmm. the homework, doing the learning, getting all of that groundwork done, Collaboration, yeah. collecting the ideas,
1: relationship building,
0: all, all of relationship that, building, huge. yeah, um, creating harmony, right, yeah. a nice working. These were all the values that kept arising for him. The inferior functioning is the individual one-off decision making. The facing, he's framing it as conflict. I don't think it always is conflict, mm-hmm. but like, if I have an idea and somebody disagrees, that's going to be conflict ridden. Um, so managing disharmony is yeah. part of the inferior capacity, but also showing up, being visible under the spotlight, right? He's been able to kind of hide within the structures that he's had before. Probably not because he sounds like a really talented guy, so he probably is mm. show up too, right? But those structures go away, and there's a reluctance to show up as he is um, kind of more directly. I think. Yeah, and independently. Yes.
1: Um. Yeah, very nicely outlined. Are there any other structures that you think from an analytical perspective or dynamics? Yes. (laughs) So
0: this one comes from um, uh, transactional analysis or TA. And this is about different kinds of ego states that we have. And we all have different levels of ego states, the main ones are parent, adult, and child. Mm. and Maybe you've seen these things, and we can put them in the show notes, but you have when you have two people in relationship with each other, two parent ego states, two adult ego states, and two child ego states. And what happens is communications get crossed, right? So if I'm talking to you, <laughs> ideally, I want my adult ego state talking to your adult ego state. And adults can manage conflict without beating each other up, mm-hmm. right? Um, be a bit resilient, you know, all the things that you would expect of a good enough adult. But uh, if I feel like I need to ask you permission, Mm. I put you in parent ego state and I'm coming from child ego state. So permission is very different from collaboration, which is adult, adult. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, John might find himself putting himself in child ego state, making other people parent ego state. So he feels like he needs to ask permission.
1: Mm.
0: And if he could move himself up to adult, um, that does turn into collaboration. But it's really hard to kind of, because you're really identified with that state of mind to pull yourself out into that other state.
1: Just thinking about that in relationships. Yeah. So in terms of next steps for, well, actually, let me pause and reflect it. Mm -hmm. Are there any other things that we need to look at in terms of analysis? Or should we start moving into recommendations? Is there anything else that Let me throw like one listen? last
0: thing in. Mm. I mean, of course, I could go on forever. You know,
1: <laughs> we have time, <thought.
0: laughs> But also in relation to this inferior um, superior thing, which mm. comes from Jung, um, is this idea that you were really into around um, emanation, manifestation, mm-hmm. Carl Jung called it individuation. And I think we'll probably come a lot to individuation yes. in this show in general. And that is when, in a sense, you can embrace your inferior capacities as much as your superior ones and see that as a, as a, a life adventure. And as, I'm not spinning it a little bit, right? But I think when you were asking him about the, can he see the joy of discovery? Can he imagine what an emanation of John Kennedy CEO looks mm-hmm. like? That's really about this path of individuation, which means really confronting those things that scare you and yeah. that, that you're being less good at. And I think when we move into recommendations, we can think about how, how those things can happen.
1: Yeah, cool lots yeah. of interesting grammar and i'm just thinking about you know in terms of visual show notes for the transactional analysis thing that's quite mm-hmm. that's going to be a juicy one um, so recommendations one thing that i would suggest <laughs> which will probably be extremely uncomfortable but very valuable and it sounds a bit woo unless you try it and when you try it you'll probably feel like a bit of a twat but <laughs> you know and maybe that's just my own experience but one thing that i think can be really helpful especially if you are finding it painful or uncomfortable to enter into what you perceive as conflict is to practice saying no I'm going to give the most sort of quote well perhaps not the most extreme but the most performative (laughs) embodied way of doing it that I tried earlier this year which was really actually quite illuminating is to stand with someone that you trust with someone that you can be um, to use the, the transactional analysis framing in any of those ego state roles so whether you are with this person you feel safer in your child role or parent role or whichever it is, that you can be with someone that you feel safe practising with. And then you're going to imagine that there is someone behind you. It could be a young version of yourself. If there's someone that you really dearly love, it could be a niece, a nephew, a child. Um, It could be a beloved other. It could be an animal, someone who is more vulnerable than you. And there is a group of people coming to harm this person which sounds quite extreme but bear with me. Your role is to stand in front of this being whether it's a person or an animal or something else and you are going to say no to whoever is coming towards you and that no will be enough. Now the practice is to figure out what no feels most grounded and true and clear and resonant and the trick is to try out to enter into that discovery and figure out what gestures, what kind of sound, what kind of emphasis helps you to feel most clearly identified with the no, that is the most powerful no. So to give you my example, share a little bit here, um, I thought that my no would be quite kind of like fierce and you know, like a bit Xena the warrior princess. <laughs> I am totally dating myself there. But it wasn't, I, after trying about seven or eight times and feeling quite embarrassed at <laughs> doing this in a group of other people, the, the no that I felt most grounded in and solid in was just standing there with my arms by my side, my feet grounded and not shouting but being quite clear and just saying no with my eyes open. Yours might be completely different but I would suggest that you try that practice and see how you feel and especially if that's that sense of kind of I feel like a twat or what people are going to think of me or my no feels too hoarse or I'm trying too hard or it's too quiet, like whatever it is to explore that, that would be a great embodied practice to experiment with.
0: I'm glad you used that word right in the end because I was thinking it embodied embodiment a lot Mm. while you were speaking. And that sometimes when we get caught up in our fear and our abstractions, uh, we come out of our body. So being embodied in any state, whenever you start to feel anxious, whenever you start to catastrophize, um, even if you're sitting at a Board meeting or something all you really have to do is put your feet on the ground under that table maybe put your hands on that table mm-hmm. feel your body feel the boundaries around it to kind of get that that boldness mm. and that security back I think that really helps
1: what are your thoughts around recommendations that come to mind
0: um so I like Talking about anxiety. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I spent <laughs> I've spent, you know, many well more than two decades now working with anxiety. And the thing about anxiety is it has a very close relationship with avoidance, right? So people try to manage their anxiety through avoidance. Or like John, like if I read the right books, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna manage my anxiety be- before I have to face my anxiety. That's kind of how people generally conclude it. But if you take a really basic example like uh, say you have a phobia of crossing bridges or something um, you can read all the books you want about bridge crossing phobia um, but until you step across the bridge you're not going to put it into practice right yeah. so we want to think about very much in the in the spirit of the no exercise what things can i do that are in a manageable range of anxiety that i can test out and try mm-hmm. so having having a conversation or putting myself forward Uh, with the least intimidating person in my team, trying something out, um, identifying when I'm in a state of avoidance and just saying, okay, what's the scary thing I'm avoiding now? And then what small step can be taken towards it? And the big thing with anxiety is people think, in a sense, they try to cure it, but actually the best cure for anxiety is growing your tolerance of it. And the wider your tolerance of your anxiety goes, Uh, the more anxiety you're able to tolerate and the things that used to freak you out last year just seem a lot less now, but you need to to start on that process Mm. looking at that conflict avoidance and looking at the anxiety. But one thing that we also talked about is, you know, there's more than one person here than just John, right? He's got these two people that he's working with and They seem like close people. It seems like a supportive team. Mm. We feel like they should be talking about this stuff. Yes,
1: totally. Like if we're talking about culture and psychological safety, people talk a lot about psychological safety. What it isn't is a space in which everyone's kind of treading lightly around everyone else. That's not to say that we shouldn't be respectful and, um, you know, within certain bounds of appropriate behavior, but it does mean creating an environment in which you can have challenging, potentially emotionally charged conversations knowing that if you raise these difficult topics you're not going to get shut down or penalized in some way so it's it's an arena for potentially sometimes vulnerable or frank discussions where you can be listened to and heard and that means engaging in active listening giving someone space to talk even if it's triggering emotions in you that are uncomfortable and letting them have that space before jumping in Um, and so active listening actually would be a good uh, kind of practice for people to check out also nonviolent communication which includes some of these practices which is where you are trying to well you're engaging in a process that helps those in the room get to the deeper need beneath whatever it is that you're talking about on the surface um, i'm not going to go into the details here but we can also link to some extra information about what that looks like if it's
0: useful for conflict resolution Um, in the notes and I would also say you know something that John said early on was you know I want to be an inspiring leader Mm -hmm. and inspiring leaders tend to be authentic leaders Mm -hmm. and tend to be transparent in some ways not in all ways but um one of the ways of doing that is is saying you know sometimes it makes me uncomfortable to put my first foot forwards or um I have a different opinion on the logo than you do, and I feel a little bit anxious about bringing it up because I know you're really attached to it, right? So, by you can you don't have to be an inspiring leader in the sense that you have to have, be okay, right? Or and not
1: have all the answers. Yes, or-, or
0: be ideal, or whatever. You know, sometimes it's really inspiring when someone says, "Look, you know, uh, this is really this is really hard for me to say," or I'm worried about failure, or. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about discord in this team Mm -hmm. so again this idea of creating enough psychological safety in that leadership team and then modeling it as the CEO you know I can be vulnerable I can be afraid and I can also have really great ideas that I want to stand behind Mm -hmm. and and support
1: and I think key to what you have just outlined as well is the naming of the thing it's like and that's an amazing practice that I'm trying to do more of which is if you're feeling the feelings arise if it's appropriate to do so, to name the feeling and then it feels more manageable. So if it's, I have a sense of anxiety about this or I feel worried about what you might think and also at the same time, these other things are going on, just naming, getting into the practice of Mm -hmm. naming what's going on for you can be a really helpful practice because then you realise, I can't remember who said this, but it's like the internal weather and you're learning to name the weather systems so that you're not
0: completely identified with them. Yeah, you're not subject to them, Mm yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I think kind of drawing it all up in in a sense to universalize it as well, because we've had this great guest who's given us all of these themes that we all share, right? There's always going to be fear. Mm Fear is always going to provoke ambivalence. So you start to push one way, the ambivalence starts to push the other. And it's going to sound weird coming from someone who's a psychotherapist who's usually (laughs) thinking about abstract and thoughts, you know, unless you're a behaviorist, but um, Mm -hmm. action is really helpful. You can rehearse and practice and think and worry. Um, generally when we make that step out in the world, it really doesn't match our expectations in so many ways. And that's the best way that, that we learn from
1: them. Do the doing, do
0: the doing, <laughs> to make time to that. show up, right? <laughs> yeah. Time to show up for doing the doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, so thank you very much for making the time to show up. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as you mentioned, all of the things that we've just outlined will be in the show notes. And if you would like to be in conversation with us in a future deep inquiry session, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. So I think that's it for now. Yeah. And we'll see you at the next session.
0: Thanks so much for showing up. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)